Hi guys, TJ here, back with another two-part episode of the 20-Minute Fitness Podcast. This time we'll be covering the ins and out of nutrition from the context of weight loss. As per our last episode surrounding circumference measurements, check it out if you haven't already. Part one will be all about the basics of nutrition. As always, the 20-Minute Fitness Podcast is all about actionable and evidence-backed health and fitness insights. If you're listening to this, then congratulations. You've taken your first step towards your weight loss journey. In this two-part episode, I hope to educate or remind you about the correct nutrition to help with weight loss. Here, you'll find no quick fixes for rapid weight loss. Rather, I will give you some ideas on how you can incorporate great nutrition choices into your everyday diet. I want you to focus on creating manageable food habits that can form lifestyle changes. This will prevent you from going back to your original eating habits when you reach your goal, which will inevitably lead to weight gain, and this is not what we want. This episode will tell you what you should focus on and what you should avoid in your nutrition. There will be sacrifices. Maybe we shouldn't finish that bag of chips in one sitting, but they will bring the desired results. In today's part, we will cover how to actually achieve weight loss, how to plan your nutrition and diet for weight loss, and a few tips to make the ride easier. One last thing before we get into the episode, just remember that every food you eat is moving closer or further away from your goal, but luckily you have the power to make these choices every single day. So now, let's get into the episode. Right, great. Well, how do we actually achieve weight loss? Simply put, it's calories in versus calories out. For your body to function, it requires certain maintenance energy. This is your basal metabolic rate, otherwise known as BMR, which is the rate at which your body uses energy to stay alive or the number of calories your body burns at rest. Maintenance energy also incorporates energy you burn from activities and exercises, such as walking and weightlifting. These two factors together make up your total daily energy expenditure, otherwise known as your TDEE. As such, your body requires energy to survive. This is taken from the energy you put into your body, aka food and drinks, or can be taken from the energy stores in your body. The two stores the body has are adipose tissue, aka body fat, and glycogen, chains of glucose stored in muscles and liver. Your body will only take energy from these stores unless it is forced to. This happens when, for example, you're in a caloric deficit. You feed your body less than it needs to function. Knowing that your body needs to dip into your energy sources to lose weight, the goal is to be in a caloric deficit during your weight loss journey. You can achieve this by reducing your dietary calorie intake and or by increasing your energy expenditure through increased activity levels and exercise. This is best achieved through a combination of both. It's allowed you to be the least hungry and enjoy the health benefits that come from exercise. Okay, great. It's all good and well talking about TDEE and being in a caloric deficit, but how do we actually calculate it? You can either estimate it using a calculator or an app such as Chronometer or MyFitnessPal. These tools usually calculate your BMR and then use a multiplier for your activity levels to give you an estimate of your TDEE. However, the best bet is to hook up your Apple Health, Google Fit, Strava, etc, etc to a Chronometer and then calculate your TDEE with a greater accuracy. Okay, great. So now we know our TDEE. Now it's actually setting the pace for our weight loss. Technically, The greater your caloric deficit, the faster you'll lose weight. However, this comes down to individual tolerance for hunger, amount of daily exercises, and your current levels of body fat. Generally speaking, if you're overweight, your body can likely handle a greater caloric deficit. For a modest weight loss pace, which is what I would definitely recommend for someone just getting into weight loss or you know, not being really in tune with their body, you should consume about 250 to 500 calories less than your TDE per day. This should lead to a weight loss of roughly 0.25 to 1 pounds per week. You can expect to lose fast in the beginning of your weight loss journey. However, as your body adapts over time, it will attempt to conserve energy, which will require a greater caloric deficit to achieve the same level of weight loss. For a faster weight loss pace, you should decrease your calories by about 500 to 1,000, which will cause an approximate loss of 0.5 to 2 pounds per week. Be warned though, drastically cutting your calories above 1,000 can put you at risk of slowing your metabolism, crazy hunger headaches, muscle loss, gallstones, and other nutritional deficiencies that can lead to health risks. Therefore, Unless you're really in tune with your body, we recommend starting out slow and steady before increasing your pace. Great. So at this point, we know how many calories we should be consuming, but how do we actually keep track of it? 
To keep track of your deficit and ensure you're hitting your goals, you can take one of two approaches. The first option comes under food journaling and mindful eating. And I'd say this has a medium accuracy with medium effort. Mindful eating and food journaling is a brilliant combination to reduce your calories by becoming more mindful about what you eat and how much you eat and why you're eating. You can simply try to eat healthier by going for protein and fiber-rich foods, decreasing your portion size more and cutting out calorie-dense food while increasing your exercise. A slightly more accurate way to approach this is by using the Precision Nutrition Hand Portion Guide to make estimates for the ideal meal size for your three to four meals a day. The guide states that your vegetables should equate to the size of one fist, your protein-heavy foods should equate to the size of one palm, your carb-dense food should equate to the size of one cupped hand, and the fat-dense food should equate to the size of one thumb. For women, your vegetables should equate to the size of two fists, the protein-heavy two palms, carb-dense two cupped hands, and fat-dense two cupped thumbs. Food journaling through an app like 8 will help you remember what you consumed and stay honest. Food journaling will provide for an easy check of whether you have actually stuck to your diet goals and portioned every meal in accordance with the hand portion guide above. If you still gain weight over the course of a week, you're most likely still doing something wrong. Simply revisit your food log and you'll know whether you've actually eaten healthier or not. For greater accountability, you can add your friends on the 8 app and keep each other in check. This method is relatively easy to maintain once you've gotten the hang of it. However, it won't work very well if you willingly lie to yourself don't understand what's truly healthy or if you're already at a low body fat percentage and need greater precision right well that leads us on to option two then nutrition and exercise tracking i'd say this is high accuracy but high effort as well this option requires you to use a nutrition tracking app like my fitness pal noom or my favorite chronometer and a kitchen scale to track all your meals and snacks and use of a wearable device to track your exercise this method will provide you with the greatest sense of how close you are to your target deficit it can also give you a better idea about potential macro and micro nutritional deficiencies I strongly recommend at least tracking your meals this way for at least two weeks. Then you'll have a better idea of how good your diet actually is. Most people severely underestimate what they actually eat and actual nutrition tracking can serve as both a wake-up call but also a knowledge bomb to spot bad foods you previously assumed to be healthy. Allow for some room for error as nutrition tracking can still be inaccurate. For example, food labels can be erroneous and it's very easy to under or overestimate what you've eaten when you're dining out. Finally, it's a habit that can be quite tedious to pursue. It requires a lot of effort and diligence, but provides for the greatest control over your weight loss outcome. Whilst you can probably still achieve decent results if you simply watch what you eat and increase your protein and non-starchy foods in your diet, my advice would be to introduce either of the two methods for greater accountability and understanding of how well you're actually doing. Okay, well, let's now move on to planning your nutrition and diet. Now that we've worked out how many calories you should eat and where you can track them, we should probably work out where you're going to get them from. So this involves working out our macronutrients. For those that are unaware or simply need a reminder, our macronutrients, more commonly known as macros, describe the three key food groups our bodies require to function. The three basic macronutrients are protein, carbohydrates, and fats. But let's start off with the most important macro, protein. Protein is the most important macro for sure, especially for losing fat. It is an essential element of our body cells and is used for maintaining, repairing, and building our tissues. The tricky thing about protein is that while our body can produce its non-essential amino acid components, we can only gain its essential amino acid components from food, stressing further how much we need to pay attention to our protein intake. A high protein intake is key to a diet that promotes weight loss. This is because by replacing carbohydrates and fat with protein for energy creation, you boost the concentration of several hormones, increasing energy expenditure and raising the level of amino acids. High protein diets thus help boost your metabolism and alter several weight re regulating hormones, which leads to a major reduction in appetite. Though there is no consensus yet on the right dosage of a high protein diet, based on my own experience, I advise eating between 1 gram to 1.5 grams of protein per pound of your body weight, or 25 to 40% of your calories to lose weight. Here are some substantial sources of protein which you can include in your diet. Animal proteins, seafood, red meat, so this is beef, pork, lamb, etc. White meat, poultry, eggs, and dairy. 
cheese, Greek yogurt, whey, cottage, cheese, etc. Plant proteins, legumes, soy, chickpeas, kidney beans, green beans, leafy greens, kale, collard greens, spinach, and veggies, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. I recommend eating grass-fed meat as it is leaner and lower in fat. However, nutritionally, grain-fed is still a superb choice to be consumed. Chicken and turkey are also an excellent choice, as though poor in micronutrients compared to beef, they are very lean and calorie-sparse options. It's a very good idea not just to consume muscle meats like steak and chicken breast, but also some nutrient-rich organ meats like liver or ground meats which often include a mix of muscle and organ tissue. Seafood is one of the best protein sources, worth including at least three times a week of your diet. Fish and selfish are low in saturated fats, but high in protein, minerals, and omega-3s. Alright, next is fats. Fat is essential for the proper functioning of our bodies. Consuming too little fat can suppress the normal hormone levels, which can negatively affect bodily functions such as growth, metabolism, reproduction, and more. Fat is also necessary for vitamin and mineral absorption. However, fat is the most energy-dense of all the macronutrients, so you need to be very mindful of how much you consume. For example, a handful of nuts, which seems like a healthy snack, in fact has 200 calories and doesn't keep you full. Therefore, decreasing fat intake and replacing it with something much more nutrient-dense, such as a protein, is a better option. You also need to make sure that you're consuming the right fats, as not all of them are good for you. There are three types of fat, unsaturated, saturated, and trans fats ranging from good to bad. All right, well, we'll start with the best for you, unsaturated fats. Unsaturated is the best for you as it can improve blood cholesterol levels, ease inflammation, stabilize heart rhythms, and play several other beneficial roles. Unsaturated fats are predominantly found in foods from plants, such as vegetable oils, nuts, and seeds, and come under two categories, monosaturated and polyunsaturated. Monounsaturated helps to maintain the overall health of cells, lowers bad cholesterol, and reduces the risk for heart disease and stroke. Polyunsaturated contains omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. Polyunsaturated contain omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, which your body needs for brain function and cell growth. Omega-6 is pro-inflammatory, and omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. But when your diet is high in 6 and low in 3, then it may increase inflammation. Therefore, I recommend you ensure that you get the right balance of both. To do this, avoid cooking with sunflower oil, corn oil, and vegetable oil, high in omega-6, and cut down on processed foods. Alright, number two, saturated fats. Found in animal products such as eggs, butter, milk, cheese and meat, this is the fat that we've been told is unhealthy for many years. Although studies have shown that saturated fats can in fact increase the good cholesterol needed for the body, it is still important to eat them in moderation as they are a casual link between LDL cholesterol and coronary heart disease. Cutting back on saturated fat can be beneficial for health if people replace saturated fat with good fats especially polyunsaturated fats. High-fat dairy, like heavy cream, cheese, milk, and fatty red meat, especially from the belly, aka bacon, short ribs, etc., are typically highest in saturated fats. And lastly, trans fats. Trans fatty acids, which are mainly generated via industrial processes, are best avoided at all costs. This is because they raise bad LDL, create inflammation, contribute to insulin resistance, and have harmful effects such as increased heart disease. This means cutting down on processed foods, ready meals, and fast food. Here are some of my tips to cut down on the amount of bad fat you eat. Stop eating high-fat snacks like crisps, chocolate, biscuits, etc. Change to low-fat dairy products, semi-skimmed or skimmed milk, and choose low-fat yogurt and cheese. Watch out for your sugar though. Low-fat branded products are sometimes very unhealthy. Buy lean cuts of meat and avoid processed meat like sausages and bacon. Remove skin and visible fat from meat before cooking. Or try baking, boiling, broiling, steaming, poaching, or microwaving your food instead of frying, so you don't need to add fat. Buy a non-stick frying pan and roasting tray so you can cook without adding fat. Some of the best foods to get your good fats from are salmon, tuna, and other fatty fish, walnuts, but remember to eat in moderation, 
canola oil and flax seeds, corn, soy and sunflower oils, olive and peanut oils, nuts and avocados. But just remember, fats must be ate in moderation. And last but not least, everyone's greatest enemy, carbohydrates. In contrast to fat and protein, carbs have only one role, but it's a pretty big one. They provide your body with rapid energy. Whilst dietary fat can also be a source of energy, it metabolizes much slower than carbs, which can be quickly broken down into glucose. For your day-to-day and when you're exercising moderately, your body will mostly be fine burning fat if you're fat-adapted and consuming a low-carbohydrate diet. It is for aerobic and high-intensity exercise for which your body requires glucose, tapping into your body's glycogen storages. If you're an endurance athlete, a medium to high carbohydrate diet will be your recommendation to meet your performance goals. However, for most everyday people looking for weight loss and maintenance, you'll be fine with a few carbs. Our bodies are great at adapting, so if you want a body to get better at burning fat, you should eat fewer carbohydrates. Reducing your carb intake frequently forces your body to become fat adapted. Limiting carbs will be difficult at first, as it's a form of metabolic exercise, like weightlifting. Will it be worth it for your results? The problem with refined carbohydrates. Whilst there's nothing inherently wrong with carbs, aside from leafy green vegetables, most foods high in carbohydrates would be low in protein and other nutrients whilst high in calories. We therefore recommend you to avoid refined carbohydrates, also known as processed carbohydrates and simple carbohydrates, as they've been stripped of almost all fiber, vitamins and minerals and are therefore largely empty calories. We also digest them quickly. This means that they lead to rapid spikes in blood glucose, which if not required by your body, then quickly clears away and turns into body fat for energy storage. Refined carbohydrates to avoid include white flour, white bread, white rice, pastries, sodas, snack, pasta, sweets, breakfast cereals, and added sugars. Instead, opt for complex carbohydrates that break down slower, allow for a gradual release of energy, and contain fiber and other important vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients. One thing to pay attention to is the fact that not all micronutrients are equal. It's key to have a healthy macronutrient source. For instance, getting your daily carb intake from sugary cookies that are high in refined carbohydrates won't have the same effects on your body as complex carbohydrates. Foods that contain refined carbohydrates absorb much quicker, offer very little micronutritional value, and are typically much denser in calories than foods with complex carbohydrates. Instead, I recommend focusing primarily on whole foods, which are rich in nutrients. The good old battle of processed foods versus whole foods. I'd define a processed food as a food that's been somewhat removed from their natural state because of chemical, biological, and or mechanical manipulation. Whole foods are unaltered and appear pretty much as they would do in nature. Not only are highly processed foods highly addictive, but they're very low in nutrient density and high in calories. Therefore, most of your nutrition should come from foods that sit towards the whole foods end of the spectrum. As we move towards the more processed end, these foods are best substituted for a whole food alternative. In order to tell if a particular food is processed, it's best to look at the ingredients list. The longer the ingredients list and the more items you can't pronounce or understand, the further towards the processed end the food likely sits. Therefore, it's better that you choose a whole food alternative. Some foods are minimally processed and are therefore okay to consume. Many processed foods have been slightly altered, mainly for preservation, but which does not substantially change the nutritional content of the food. Examples include cleaning and removing inedible or unwanted parts, grinding, refrigeration, pasturation, fermentation, freezing, and vacuum packaging. This allows for the food to be stored for a greater amount of time and remain safe to eat. Examples of these foods include fresh fruit and vegetables, including frozen ones, whole grains, nuts, meats, cheese, yogurt, and milk. Sugar is also very important to look out for. It is a big culprit for excess weight gain and a host of other negative health issues. Excess sugar translates into excess calories, which then leads to fat buildup. Food that is high in sugar packs an incredible amount of calories in a small dosage. And to make things worse, nutrients are nowhere to be found. Because of this, we need more to feel full, which creates a vicious cycle of gaining weight and still feeling hungry. In order to limit your sugar intake, look again at the ingredients for added sugars. Those commonly end in O's, such as fructose, dextrose, 
malt salts, and syrups and juices. You won't find added sugars on the nutrition facts label, since the listing for sugar includes both natural and added sugars. However, you can use this as an estimate of how much you should be consuming. The American Heart Association, otherwise known as the AHA, recommends that women limit added sugar intake to 24 grams, the equivalent of 6 teaspoons per day, and total sugar, natural and added, to about 48 grams per day. It recommends that men limit added sugars to about 36 grams, which is the equivalent of 9 teaspoons per day, and total sugar to about 72 grams per day. The food industry has hidden sugar in many foods, even some that you may least expect to find any sugar. Here are a few to look out for. Spaghetti and tomato sauce, baked beans, salad dressings, low-fat yogurt, white bread, cereal, granola, barbecue sauce, I'm very guilty of that one. Can of soups, peanut butter, condiments such as ketchup, mayonnaise, frozen meals, protein bars, and protein powder. However, if you do have a sweet tooth, like myself, there are still healthy alternatives to sugar. Some sources you can use are monk fruit, stevia, coconut sugar, date syrup, honey, molasses, maple syrup, rice syrup, and fruits. I've mentioned it a few times, but I haven't really dove into it. And this is nutrient-dense foods. Nutrient-dense foods are what I would describe as foods that are energy-dense, contain a high amount of calories per serving, whilst foods that are nutrient-dense contain a high level of vitamins, minerals, and other important nutrients with little to no added sugars or fats that raise calories. Choosing nutrient-dense foods more often allows us to consume a high number of essential vitamins and minerals that provide good health while avoiding consuming too many calories that can lead to us being overweight or even obesity. Nutrient-dense foods include foods with high water content, such as soups and stews, foods that absorb water during cooking and foods that are naturally high in water such as fruit and vegetables these allow you to eat more volume for fewer calories and stay fuller for longer to easily incorporate nutrient-dense foods into your diet try and make sure 50 percent of your plate is full of high volume vegetables and make sure they fit into your macro calculations all right drinks so being properly hydrated helps support a healthy liver and digestive system this allows for your body to become more efficient at removing toxins digesting food metabolizing fat therefore it is essential that you stay hydrated by drinking plenty of non-alcoholic drinks however you need to look at what you're drinking as many people don't realize how many liquid calories they are consuming this could be a thing that you don't realize is holding you back from losing weight as always water is the best option for hydration as it has no sugar or calories and we can suggest consuming between 11 and 16 cups a day if you struggle to drink water then try adding some fresh lemon or lime for a twist of flavor Cold beverages you should avoid include sweet and soft drinks full of calories and low in nutrients. Sweet and carbonated beverages such as sodas do no aid to weight loss. A 12 ounce can of soda can contain around 10 to 13 teaspoons of sugar, depending on the drink. Fruit juices and smoothies, although they're perceived as healthy, these drinks contain a lot of sugar. A 12 ounce serving of orange juice contains 10 teaspoons of sugar, whilst the same serving of smoothie can typically has even more sugar. If you want to consume juice, it's important to choose 100% fruit juice with no added sugar and to be mindful of portion sizes. Last but not least, energy drinks. Put the monster down. Energy in sports drinks can provide some benefits, yes, but they are very high in calories. They also often contain many artificial sweeteners, which of course are not healthy. Hot drinks. You can include some tea and coffee among your daily drinks but it's important that this isn't your only source of fluid. This is because they make it harder for your body to absorb the iron you need from the food you eat and also contain caffeine, which is a stimulant. If you add sugar to your tea and coffee, try gradually reducing the amount you have by half a teaspoon or try a natural healthy sweetener. Remember to think about the amount of milk in hot drinks as well, as this can add calories. At home or in the coffee shop, you should go for the skinny option. Now let's talk about alcoholic drinks. If you're trying to lose weight, keep your alcohol intake at zero or a minimal amount as the less you drink, the leaner you will get. Alcohol is considered as empty calories, as it provides more energy than it does nutrients. 
The body cannot store alcohol as it can fat, protein, or carbohydrates, so it has to get rid of it. This means that the body will prioritize burning alcohol over fat or carbohydrates when it's in your system, resulting in slower fat burning. In addition, alcohol contains a lot of calories. We're looking at about 7 calories per gram, which is almost as much as fat at 9 calories. So drinking a few beers or glasses of wine can quickly add up and contribute to your weekly calorie intake, which will put you in a surplus. For this reason, alcohol should be included in your cheat meals per se. Have you noticed that the more you drink, the more you eat? This is because when we drink alcohol, it lowers our inhibitions and can reduce our ability to portion control and make healthy choices. Alcohol also lowers your blood sugar, which can cause sugar and carb cravings. So to avoid the alcohol munchies, drink with a balanced meal, don't have unhealthy snacks around, and make healthy options available. And of course, hydrate. If you're going to drink, skip the cocktails, not for lower calorie options. Well, that's it for today's show and this first part of our episode on nutrition for weight loss. Weight loss is simple to understand, but it's often difficult to execute. Usually, we're our own worst enemies. In part two, we'll go over the best way to execute your diet and some hacks to make it more doable. If you can't wait to part two of this episode, then I definitely recommend checking out our full show notes at 20minute.fitness. You can find Martin on Twitter and Instagram at Kesla.io. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcasting app is. Your review is super important in helping other listeners learn more about the show. And of course, your feedback is always highly appreciated. Also, if you think a friend or family member would get something out of today's show, please consider letting them know. I'm TJ Robinson. 20 Minute Fitness is mixed by Lila Lasko and produced by Shape in San Francisco. As always, thank you for continued support and until next time.